I know there's a few people in here who are like me. Uh, I, I know this, there's a uniqueness that takes place basically at the close of Thanksgiving Day. It's, it's when Christmas starts to happen. And, and there's something normally in us that comes to life in a profound way when the Christmas season starts. So I, I know there are many of you who are part of the service here, and, and you know me well enough to know that I am, I am a full-blown Christmas junkie. Like, love Christmas, can't get enough of Christmas. Normally one of the happiest moments of my year. I mean, I, I count down the days until Christmas starts because I love Christmas so much. And, and we have traditions galore as the Paredes family. I mean, we, we do all kinds of stuff. Like when Thanksgiving night hits, we're, we're finishing. We begin the day watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And we finish the day watching Miracle on 34th Street that starts with the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And like now we've got Christmas season fully gone. The, the, the next day on Friday, we take down fall. We put up Christmas. My son and I finish about 14 hours of putting up Christmas lights on our home and we turn it on that next day. We go to the Christmas tree farm, cut down our Christmas tree, and we, we do it big at our home. And normally, we love it, like filled to the brim with joy. But, but this particular Christmas season, th this year, has been unusual for us because it just, it feels like joy somehow has been conspicuously missing from our Christmas celebration. I don't know if any of you are struggling with that like I am, but it, it's just been a little bit harder to find joy this year. And, and the reason why is there is a dark cloud hovering over our home right now. There's, there's one particular thing that kind of makes everything a little bit tenser and drabber and grayer. And, and there are some of you in the room who will understand what I'm talking about. It's because I, I have a senior in high school at home right now, which means that we're about to send off our first child to college. And there's something about that that just makes everything drab, and it's, it's impressive how this happens. I mean, it, it, it will be any, any moment, it'll come out of nowhere, and somebody will inevitably say, well, that's the last time we're going to do that together as a family. Like, it's never going to be the same again. There's going to be a child gone. And that, that one statement, well, we're never going to do that together again as a full family, that will turn anything into a feeling of a funeral, like, like that. Just like pain and misery because what we had for so long is now being broken up. And, and I know this is the beginning of the slippery slope. I mean, I, I'm just a couple more years later, we're going to have two more kids that we'll be sending off to college. And, and now we've, we're going to go from six kids down to three. I don't even know what to do with just three kids. It's going to be so crazy. And then it won't be long. We're sending our next one and then our next one. Our, our youngest we'll have probably till Christ returns. I don't, she, she won't ever leave. But I mean, the rest of them, it's going to be, it's going to be the sending off. And it'll never be the way it was before. And, and the recognition of that again and again and again just makes everything heavy. It just kind of sucks the joy out of the most joyful moment. In fact, it's, it's almost like Christmas exacerbates the problem. Like it's supposed to be filled with joy, and now when we have this drab feeling the whole time, we recognize how not joyful we are. Any of you in this place, any of you watching, struggling with this right now? All right, there's a few of you. Here's what I know. I know that right now there are some of you in this room. There are some of you watching online. And you would love for your worst problem to be that you're just sending off your eldest to college. Like to you, you're going, man, if that was my biggest problem, life would be pretty good. And here's what I know. I, I've, I've done way too many funerals over the last two years to not know that there are many of you who are listening to this message. And you, you do not have somebody you love by your side. 
There are so many of you right now entering into the Christmas season and there's this weight and this heaviness because it just points out that there was a person who used to be there who is no longer there and there's a pain and a heaviness that makes it impossible for you to really feel joy in the Christmas season. There are some of you right now who a year ago were married and now you're divorced and you never thought your marriage would end and yet here you are. Or, or, or maybe, maybe you're not yet, the, the marriage isn't over, but it feels like at any second it could blow up and you know that and you feel the weight of that and it makes it near impossible for you to find any joy in any moment. There are some of you that just last year your body was fine, everything felt healthy, and now you're here and you feel sickly and weak and there's problem after problem, and it's just you're tired of being in pain all the time, and it makes it so hard to find joy. Maybe some of you have a child who's been rebellious and turned their back on you or turned their back on the Lord, and it just breaks your heart to see them run away from God, but there's no way you can seem to break through, and you just feel that weight and that pain over and over again. Wanting God to do something, but God's not doing anything. And it makes it so hard to celebrate with joy. Maybe there's some of you that a year ago you had, you had a job that provided so much more for you. You entered the Christmas season excited because you could be generous with church. You could buy presents for everybody. Things were great. And now here you are and you go, I don't even know how to pay for the basics, much less buy Christmas. It just stresses you out all the time because you know the financial burdens that you have. Maybe you have money and you have a job, but you hate your job. You've been asking God to give you something new. And every time you go to work, it kills you because you hate it. But God's not opening any new doors. And here you are suffering and miserable. In Christmas season, you can't find joy anywhere. Maybe some of you, you, you have no clue why you feel so depressed. But there's a dark cloud over you that's inexplicable. You just can't get rid of it. And everything just feels gray and drab. And you don't even know why. Here's what I know. I, I know that the Christmas season has a, a tendency to emphasize our joylessness if we're not feeling joy. Because it looks like everybody else is having fun. You look at their Christmas cards and they're all smiling. You, you look at their house and you see them having dinner inside. Everybody looks like they're so happy and all it does is make you feel like you're miserable and you're the only one suffering from it. I, I know this. I, I've been in ministry for 26 years. And I know the last two years I've been leading this church have been a pandemic-induced twilight zone. It's been the weirdest two years of ministry in anybody's life. And the one thing I've noticed over these last two years is that joy is a rare and precious commodity, and so few people have it. And if we were being honest, that includes inside the church, not just outside the church. There's an epidemic of joylessness right now. And I think Christmas has a tendency to make it even worse, even among us as believers in Jesus, when we know it shouldn't be that way, but we feel that way. But the good news is it doesn't have to be that way if we just learn to find joy in the right places. Have, have any of you ever heard the song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places? Johnny Lee, you know that song? I almost slapped one of the other pastors on staff because they never heard that song before. And I'm like, how could you not know that song? There's a bunch of students right now going, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Go look it up. Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. Great song. But I, I, I think that that, and I'm not trying to be corny and cheesy here, but that really defines us with joy. We're looking for joy in all the wrong places. We're seeking joy in places that can't ever bring joy, and we wonder why we're miserable. Let me just tell you, our, our joylessness isn't a circumstantial problem. It's not a psychological problem. It's a theological problem. We misunderstand God and his word and where joy is supposed to come from, and we wonder why we feel so joyless. 
So what I hope to do during this Christmas season is come back to the ancient story of where joy really comes from. You know, over the next few weeks, all the way until the Christmas Eve service, I'm going to t- teach you from God's Word where true joy comes from. Because I believe that we need the joy of Christmas in this joy-starved world we live in. And it's available for us if we just learn what God's Word actually says. And my prayer is that you come ready to receive and to experience the joy that God has for you. We're going to begin in the book of Luke, chapter 2. So grab your Bible. Turn book of Luke, chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 8 through 11 in a moment. Now, if you, if you don't have a Bible with you, the words will be up on the screen in a moment. But let me go ahead and catch you up to the context because we're going to jump right into the middle of the story. It's a story that I'll bet the majority of you have heard before. It's the story of Christmas. Now, we're going to skip verses 1 through 7. That's the whole, there was a census that was made. And so Mary and Joseph have to travel down to Bethlehem, to the city of David. And when they arrive there, there's no room in the inn. So they give birth outside to, to this baby, Jesus. And they put him in a feeding trough or a manger. That's his first bed. I mean, you guys know the story. And then it comes into verse 8 where an angel appears to some shepherds. That's where I want to jump in because I want you to listen to the angelic message. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, says this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, I know this is not a new story for the majority of you. You've heard this year after year after year, but I want to zero in. Because that angel said, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. He's telling us right here where joy comes from. And for the vast majority of us, if we're not careful, it's going to fly right over our heads. And we're going to keep on in joylessness because we're looking for joy in all the wrong places. So I asked one of my children about Christmas. And if, you, if we were to poll about 100 kids and say, okay, tell me, why is Christmas the season of joy? What makes you the most joyful about Christmas? If they were being honest, 100 to 100 will tell you, it's the presence. Uh, my, my child said, listen, I, I know I'm supposed to say Jesus, but it's really the presence. Can I, can I just be honest with you, Daddy? I, I actually appreciated that candor. Like, thank you for being honest <laughs> with us. M- most people, it's the presence. And the reason why we think that way is because we are bombarded with this message day in and day out. I, I want you to do a little study for me, a little research project for me. Between now and Christmas Day, I want you to watch commercials with an eye of the message that it's sending to you. We had originally made a montage of commercials that show you this, but we found out we couldn't because of copyright issues show it because we live streamed this. I'm just going to tell you about it. But there are so many commercials right now that explicitly say joy is found in acquiring things. The Ford commercial says the joy of receiving a new vehicle. Now, they're not even trying to hide it. Materialism, just buy a car and you're going to be happy. You got K jewelers, every kiss begins with K. If you want to be happy, get her those diamond earrings. That's when she's going to have joy. I mean, they just say it blatantly. They say joy. You go to Walmart and the messaging is joy to the world because every kid gets the present they want. That's, that, that's the explicit message that they're trumpeting out there. J.C. Penney shows images as they sing about joy of these parents drinking wine, partying together, and that's where all the joy comes from. And it's over and over. Look at all the commercials that deal with joy. And they are bent on pleasure, acquisition, success, sex, money, all those things This is where you can find joy. And what they're trying to teach us is that when we can find things that give us a jolt of pleasure, then we're going to be genuinely happy. And the reason why their messaging is so successful 
is because we do get a jolt of happiness when we acquire certain things. If you can remember back to childhood days, if there was ever that Christmas you got the present you desperately wanted and you opened it up, or if you're a parent who gave your child one of those presents, you saw the delight on their eyes. There is no doubt about it. There is incredible happiness when you open up something that you wanted desperately. Yeah, if you go home and there's a car with a big old red bow on it, a brand new car, there's going to be some happiness that goes along with it. You want that video game system and you open it up on Christmas morning and there it is, all shiny and perfect and new, there's going to be a jolt of happiness that comes with it. We're deceiving ourselves if we don't think there are jolts of happiness when we get some of these things that we want. But what the commercials forget to tell you is how you're going to feel later on. Because, yeah, 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 that car, man, it gave you a jolt of happiness, but the next five years that you're paying for it and the new car smell is gone doesn't feel so happy anymore. You got that new iPhone, and then six months later, it's like an old version of it. Everybody's got the new version. You're going, oh, I need the new thing. You get the things that you want, and it gives you a little flash of happiness, and then it leaves you darker on the other side, less happy. They forget to tell you that, but the way it's built on is flash and jolt of happiness. But when it comes in jolts like this, it actually leaves you less happy, blinder and more disoriented than you were before, seeking jolt after jolt after jolt for something that can never bring you true joy. Maybe you can think of it this way. So I, I prepared my friend Sam over there. Sam, why don't you come up here on stage? Give a big hand for Sam Miles over there. Okay, Sam, here's what you're going to do. You're going to help me out. All right. Sam, my wife's going to be so happy that I brought you up here on stage. Okay, this is Sam. Sam, say hi to everybody. <laughs> okay. You got some friends out there rooting for you. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to bring the lights down a little bit in the room. Okay, I, I want to I see what happens to you when I flash. This is like the old school flash photography kind of picture right here, right? We had to pay extra money. These things used to be like two bucks a piece. Now they're like 20 bucks crazy. But it's the only thing I could find that would flash you in the eyes really well. So here's what I want to do. I, I want to take a picture of you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Pretty bright, right? Pretty bright. Let's see. Oh, another one. Okay. Is it, is it coming here? Is it, oh, another one. Okay. How are you feeling right now? It's getting, it's, getting, it's getting kind of bad, huh? I'm going to develop these pictures pretty soon. This is going to be great to see. Oh, open your eyes real bright, real, real big. You ready? You ready? You ready? Oh, another one. Okay. Tell me how you're feeling right now. Are you blinded? Okay, yeah, yeah, you are for sure. Okay, I'm sorry. I probably should have done that last one. Right there. No, oh, oh, it's so bad. Is it hard to see right now? Well, what, what do you see right now? Okay, look out there. Can you see anybody right now? No, you can't see anybody at all. And the reason why is I'm not going to do it again. Oh, oh. Well, let's take a picture together. You ready? Oh, yeah, man, that's pretty intense. Okay, so you can't see anything right now. Even though you had a light that was put in your face, why not? Because it was too bright. Yeah, and it kind of burns an image in your eye. Okay, I'm going to have to help you down because I don't want you to die. All right, here. Y'all give a big hand to Sam right here. Okay, you come this way. Okay, somebody help him out. I don't want him to die. He was the only one I knew I could do that to and get away with it. So thanks, Sam. I appreciate it. So here, here's what I want you to see. So often when we look for these jolts of light... These jolts of happiness, we think they're going to make us happier, but at the end of the day, all they do is blind us. We can't see what really brings us joy. It, it, it disorients us, and we end up less happy and blinder on the other end. And yet the world says, seek joy in this thing, in this thing, in this thing, and it does not work. And this is why there are so many people, even in the church, 
who enter into the Christmas season going, why do I feel so numb inside? Why do I feel like I just can't seem to get happy? It's because we're looking for joy in all the wrong places. This is why the story of Christmas is so incredibly important. Because if you look back at the story, what did the story say? The angel said, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. When that angel sent that message, it had nothing to do with presents, had nothing to do with a Christmas tree, nothing to do with eggnog, nothing to do with a car with a big red bow on it, had nothing to do with our traditional elements of Christmas. It actually had everything to do with pain and suffering and misery, but hope that entered into the pain. That's where the joy came from. Now, I, I preach this every single year, and I'm going to keep on preaching until Christ returns because we need to remember the Christmas story in the right context. We, we, we see the nativity scenes, and we think Christmas is this fun, safe little story, but Christmas is a story of misery. It's a story of a whole people who are groaning and moaning for God to do something for them. So if you don't know the history, let me, let me remind you of it. Uh, come back next Christmas, I'll tell you the history again because I do it every year. But the, the nation of Israel was undergoing incredible oppression that had, been, that had been happening for hundreds of years. Started all the way back with the nation of Assyria back in the 700s B.C. Come in, they were oppressing the people, enslaving the people, exiling the people. Then it was Babylon after them in the 500s. Destroys Jerusalem, tears down the temple, oppresses the people. Then it was Persia, then it was Greece, and then it was Rome. And the Romans were the worst oppressors of all. So now after 700 years of pain and misery and oppression, the people of God are groaning, saying, God, when are you going to do something? They're dejected, they're miserable, they're pain-filled and hurting, wondering if God is ever going to come. And it's into this context that an angel comes and announces that there's going to come a promised one. The angel calls him the Mashiach. That's from the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means to anoint, the anointed one. We call that the Messiah. The Mashiach is going to come, the one who's been long promised to you, and he's going to make everything good. What you may forget is that 700 years before, there was a prophet named Isaiah who made a promise about someone who's going to come. So keep your place in Luke 2, and if you know where it is, flip over to Isaiah. Isaiah 61. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. I want you to see about this anointed one and what, what is promised around him. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says this. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. There's that word, mashach. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison of those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. He says, I'm going to bring a person who's going to, be a, he's going to be a Mashiach, an anointed one. And this anointed one is going to proclaim liberty, good news, freedom. And when there used to be pain and suffering and mourning, he's going to come with the oil of gladness. Everything that was wrong is going to be made right. And for 700 years they wait until finally the angel bursts onto the scene to these shepherds and says, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy as born to you in the city of David a Savior who is Mashiach, the Lord. Now, if you're looking at verse 11 in the English, it says Christ the Lord. I, I want to help you. You may not know this, but Christ is not Jesus' last name. Like there are so many people, oh, Mr. Christ. You know, no, no, he, that's a title for him. He is Jesus, son of Joseph, but he is Jesus, 
the Mashiach, the Christ. The word Christ is Greek word Christos from Creo, which means to anoint. So in Greek, it's the anointed one. Well, what's that in Hebrew? The Mashiach, the, Mas the Messiah. He's saying, behold, it's come to you, is born in the city of David, a Savior, who is the Mashiach, the long-awaited one from Isaiah 61, the Lord. He has come to do what you most need. That's why he says, I come and I bring good news of great joy. Actually, if you look back at verse 10 where it says, I bring you good news, that's actually one word in Greek. It's the word evangelizo. It means to evangelize, to, to go around declaring good news. Now, I, I don't know, it, sometimes it gets foggy in our brain. I don't know if you know this, but the word for gospel in Greek is evangelion. And that word gospel doesn't mean originally what you think it means. Now, when we hear the gospel, we think of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That when we repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus, that's the message of the gospel. We're saved. And absolutely true, yes and amen. That's the gospel today. But did you know the word evangelion, gospel, was around way before Jesus was ever even born? In fact, the Christians used this word because of what that word meant. So in ancient times, the word evangelion, the good news, was actually a declaration of a warrior when he entered into a village. So imagine the scene. You got this village, and their nation is at war. And when that nation is at war, they send all the able-bodied men to go fight with the king against the enemy. So fathers, husbands, sons who are old enough to go to war, they're all shipped off into war. And they can't check on Instagram to see how daddy's doing. They got no means. There's no phone call to check. You can't Zoom call to make sure they're okay on the front lines. You have no clue whether your loved one is dead or alive. You have no clue whether the enemy nation has conquered your nation and they're coming to destroy your village. You just sit there and wait until the victorious king sends a delegation, one of his soldiers on a horse. That horse enters into that village and he has a trumpet and he sounds it. Everybody comes and he says, hear ye, hear ye. Our king is victorious in battle and our soldiers are coming home. And that's the first time they know that there's terms of peace and their loved ones are coming home because of the announcement of good news. That was the evangelion, the gospel. So whenever this angel says, I bring you good news, he is saying, I'm coming in with the horn blasting saying, hear ye, hear ye. The oppression from Rome is over. I have come to bring the Mashiach, the one who will liberate you. Peace is coming. Now, it's intriguing because that little baby had just been born. He wasn't a mighty soldier yet. He wasn't a king yet. He couldn't walk. He couldn't talk. He hadn't done anything yet. And yet the angel comes with total certainty and says, I declare victory. Peace is coming. You want to know why? Verse 11. It was born for you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Mashiach, the Lord. That word in Greek, kurios, for Lord, was the word in Hebrew that was used for Yahweh God, the true God. And this is the first time anybody knows that the Mashiach isn't just going to be a human being. He's going to be God in the flesh. And when God Almighty comes, he does not fail at his assignment. He wins. And so the victory was secured because that Mashiach was God himself coming to save. And that's the best part of all. He was God who was coming to save. And they rejoiced greatly at their salvation. Now listen, I, I, I want you to know, you and I struggle to understand this passage of Scripture because we don't know what it's like to be oppressed. We don't, we don't know what it's like to be slaves and trapped. And so we don't understand the joy 
of what happens when liberation comes. If somebody were to walk in the back door right now and march in and go, I'm here to save you, you know what would happen? About 20 security people would pounce on that person and he'd be shoved out to the other room. I don't know if you know this, we've got a lot of security in this place. Praise God for him. But this security would pounce on him. That dude would not have an extra word to say. And the main reason why is we don't need salvation right now in this room from any kind of threat upon us because we're not oppressed. We're not enslaved in this room right now. But if you and I were a prisoner of war in North Korea and we were sitting in a cold, damp, dank cell and a Navy SEAL busts into that cell and says, I'm here to save you, it will be the greatest news of your life. Because when you're enslaved, when you're captive, freedom is the greatest news of all. So when these oppressed people hear the good news that the Savior's come, that's great joy because of their circumstances. And let me tell you why that matters. This principle that God wants us to understand today is that joy from salvation is only felt when it rescues us from misery. Without misery, there is no joy. It's the same way with sickness. Like you, you never know you're healthy until you're sick, and then you wish you could go back to that place of health. You need the contrast in, in order to feel it. For whatever reason, we struggle with this concept. We, we, don't, we, we can't conceptualize the fact because we all pursue ease in life. None of us wants pain or hardship or misery. And so we spend our whole lives trying to keep everything steady, trying to stay comfortable, keep everything above board. And we feel like as long as we can do that, life's going to be okay. Have you ever seen a movie that doesn't have any highs and lows? So my, my wife and I, we, we decided we were going to watch some Netflix, you know, Christmas movies because they produce like 400 a day. It's crazy how many Christmas Netflix movies, more than Hallmark right now. And we, we, we started watching two of them. We had to turn it off. You want to know why? There was no plot to it. It was, it was like this the whole way. And it was so amazingly boring. But this is what we're doing with our lives. We want it to be even kill, and we think somehow we're going to be happy. And we don't realize it makes us numb. There is no joy. You have to have the ups and downs. You have to have the contrast. You cannot see light unless there's darkness. And you cannot feel joy unless there's misery. Maybe, maybe you can think about the contrast this way. So I told you my son and I, we love to put up Christmas lights and we spend hours and hours and hours doing it. Uh, we spend over a number of weekends. We have great bonding time. We, a week, I counted it out, Max. It was about 25,000 lights that we put up, wrapping all the trees and up on it. So we, we go after this thing. But I actually, I, I want you to know, the worst time to go drive by my house to see my lights is about 1 p.m. when the sun is up. In fact, I took a picture of my house with all the lights on at 1 p.m. Let's see, let's see if we can show this picture. That's my house. What you can't see is that every light is lit right now. I've turned them all on. Those angels, the trees, the, the roof, the, they're all lit. They're all pulling the same electricity, but you can't see a single light because there's no contrast. If you want to see my lights, you got to go at nighttime because then it looks like this. Let's move to the next picture. That's, that's our house right there. I know you want to drive by now and see it, don't you? <laughs> now, I, I, so th this, go, go back to the first picture if you don't mind. It's the exact same house with the exact same amount of lights all turned on, the exact same level of electricity, and you can't see a single one of them. Then you go back to the nighttime, flip back over, and there they are. You just needed the contrast to be able to see it. All right, you, you can pull that down. I don't, I don't want to create envy in the home from my, my son and, and my Christmas lights. 
Listen, here's what I want to understand. It, it is no different with joy. If we waste our lives trying to make sure there's no hardship, no pain, no suffering, thinking that's going to make us better, we are wasting it because we will never feel the contrast of joy. Joy is always felt most deeply when there's pain and suffering involved with it. And maybe you see my Christmas lights and you're going, that's cute. You can golf clap it. I understand what you're saying, but I don't really feel it. I, I want to actually tell you a story of one of the happiest moments of my life, but I want you to listen to the context of it. So this was about five years ago, five and a half years ago. We were, we were in Chicago for a reunion uh, for the orphanage that my son and daughter were adopted from. It's called Harmony House, close to Beijing, China. And back then, about every other year, we would get together in Chicago with probably about 50 families that had all adopted from the same orphanage, and it would be this beautiful reunion. And we were in Chicago for that. It was a great time with the families there. But we decided this one particular day that we were going to go to the Chicago Zoo. And we were just going to get a chance to spend some time, bless the families that were there. So we were excited about it. And that day, it was gorgeous. It was July, but it's Chicago, so it actually felt good outside. And so we spent the whole day. It was wonderful. By the end of the day, the kids are getting kind of tired. We, we had five kids at the time. Our youngest was one, and uh, our, our oldest was 12. And so it was, it was a great time together, but the kids were tuckered out. We were ready to go home. And we knew, if you have a big family, you understand this, you don't ever not go to the restroom before you get into the car because someone's going to have to use the restroom. So we do our pit stop like we do anytime we're leaving somewhere. And we have so many kids, we have to do this in shifts. So uh, I'm, I'm lucky that uh, there's only one boy, so I only have one kid to take to the restroom. Virginia's got everybody else to take care of. But I, the way we worked it out, our daughter, had, our Georgia, our one-year-old, had already had her diaper changed. She was clean. Everything was good. So I took Max to the restroom. We came back out. And then Virginia said, all right, I'm going to the restroom. And then she said something that I didn't hear. She said, I'm, I'm going to leave Georgia with you, and I'm going to take the others and go to the restroom. Now, I admit uh, I'm hard of hearing sometimes, <laughs> and Max and I are looking at like these little stuffed panda bears and lights and stuff. We're looking at these souvenirs because there was a souvenir shop right next to the restrooms, and we were just checking those things out, and she leaves, and I have no clue I'm in charge of my one-year-old daughter. She can walk. She can't talk. So Virginia leaves. About two, two minutes later, my oldest two come back, and, and we're showing them the, the souvenirs. We're trying to pick out the best souvenir to remember this great trip by about three minutes later, Virginia comes out, and her first question to me is, Jason, where's Georgia? And I go, baby, stop that. Stop kidding around. Where is she? She goes, no, no, Jason, seriously. I left Georgia with you. Where's Georgia? And at this point, I'm like, woman, stop that. Don't, don't be joking around with me like that. Where's Georgia? And she said, I left her with you five minutes ago. Where's Georgia? And at that moment, when I saw her face, I realized she was not joking. Our daughter was lost. There was about a thousand people crowded around, and there was no way to see her. We screamed her name. There was no answer. She couldn't talk even if we could. We could not find our one-year-old. I want you to know, my heart fell to the ground. It was one of the lowest moments of my life right there. Going, it, She was under my care, and I didn't even know it, and I lost my daughter. And there's no way right now for us to just find, she's, there's no way she's okay. And, and if you have ever been in a situation, I know there are many of you parents, you've gone to the grocery store, turn around, your kid's not there, or at an amusement park. It is the worst feeling in the world. And here we are in the zoo, and there are all these people around, and this little bitty girl walking around, and we have no means to find her. And, of course, your mind goes to the absolute worst places immediately. There's no doubt she has been abducted. Somebody has picked her up. We're right by the entrance and left with her. And we're, we're, we're just, I mean, we're overwhelmed. 
On top of that, you know, your mind's going like maybe she like walked into a lion pit or something crazy or she got trampled by people because people are everywhere and we're screaming her name over and over, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. And we looked for about a minute. I promise you it felt like eternity 12 times over looking for this little girl. A minute feels like forever when you don't know where your little girl is. And then Virginia saw a circle of, of women and just, I think it's just her motherly intuition knew what was going on, that there had been some moms, we didn't know the moms, but they had seen a little girl walking on her own without a parent, and they knew innately to walk around and protect her while somebody went to go look for help. And so Virginia ran over to that circle, busted in, and sure enough, there was our little Georgia just standing there. And Virginia picked her up and hugged her, and the moment I saw that, I went sprinting over to that circle. And I grabbed my little daughter Georgia, and I held her tight, and I squeezed her into my chest. And you know what I did? I wept. I sobbed right there in the middle of that zoo. But they were not tears of pain. They were tears of joy. Because my daughter who was lost was back in my arms and she was okay. And that was one of the happiest moments of my life, just to hold my little daughter. And none of my fears had come true. But did you see where the joy came from? She had been by my side the entire day. And I didn't feel any of the joy. It wasn't until the misery came of not knowing where my daughter was and the pain and the disoriented nature of the fear that made me experience one of the most joyful moments of my life. Joy is felt the deepest when we hurt the most because that's when God breaks through and shows his goodness. This is what the Christmas story is all about. Not, not little angels and everything's fun and safe and here's little baby Jesus in a manger and we sing a lullaby over it. No, no, it's not that. It's oppression and pain and fear and suffering. And the angelic message, it's going to be okay. The king has been born and he is Mashiach, the Savior, the Lord. And all things are going to work out well. Let me tell you why that matters to you. There are some of you right now and you're hearing this message, and your life feels like it is falling apart, and you're angry with God. God, why are you letting this happen to me? Why are you letting me suffer physically? Why are you letting me suffer this financial crisis? Why are you letting me suffer this broken relationship? God, where are you? Why did you let them die? God, why didn't you intervene in my situation? And what you don't realize right now is God is about to show you his greatest work. And God is about to let you experience the deepest joy if you'll just trust him and run to him. Because our God is in the business of taking what is broken and bringing joy as he fixes it. I mean, you don't have to look any further than the cross of Jesus Christ to see that. The darkest moment in human history, the Mashiach came to the earth to save and his own people crucify him. And his disciples run away, going, it's over. We thought he was the one. The darkest moment, the greatest despair. And three days later, turns into the greatest joy. Go back and reread the resurrection stories and listen to how it talks about the joy of the disciples. Because their Savior was dead and now he's alive. Listen, he was by their side the whole time. And they're all worried about, is our kingdom going to grow? Are we going to be at your right hand? They're worried about all these other things and they're missing the joy. But when he was dead and came back to life, then they were filled with joy. I guarantee you, that day in the zoo, nothing else in the world mattered when I was holding my little baby girl. One month later, I was going to be prayed over as the new pastor of this church. 
Can I tell you something? I could care less if I ever became the pastor of this church when I was holding my little baby girl. All that mattered was my Georgia was in my arms. It didn't matter what house I lived in, what car I drove, what clothes I was wearing. All that mattered was my little baby girl and the joy I felt in that moment. And God has the power to take your worst situation and overwhelm you with joy so that nothing else even compares to what you're going through if you run to him and you take your problems to him. And that's what I want to challenge you to do today. In a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to respond. I'm going to invite the pastors down front. And we're going to have a time of prayer because I believe there are many of you and you are going through incredibly hard circumstances right now. And you feel overwhelmed. Christmas feels joyless for all the reasons I've spoken for or maybe a whole bunch of others I don't even know about. And you're struggling with joy. And today God is saying, would you trust me? Don't despair. I bring my greatest work in your deepest pain. Watch for the miracle. And maybe you just need to come by faith to one of the pastors and say, okay, pray over me. Here's my situation. I need you to cry out to God on my behalf. I want to join my faith with yours, and I want to be prayed over. Maybe you don't want to share it with someone. Maybe you just want to get on your knees and let this be a time of prayer. Maybe right where you're watching online, you just want to get down on your face and present your, your need to the Lord. Wherever you are can become your altar, and you can pray to him. Pastors will be down front to pray for you. If you're watching online, we want to pray for you as well. You can text the word prayer to 94253, and it'll let one of the pastors know. You fill out the form, you let us know what your prayer request is, and one of the pastors will pray for you and reach back out to you and let you know that you've been prayed for. So whether you're in this room or whether you're watching online, you can receive prayer today. But this is how you come in faith and say, in my hardship, in my pain, I still choose to trust you, Lord, and I bring it before you. In a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to do it while we're singing this next song. But before we do, I, I, gotta, I gotta say this one thing. There are some of you right now and you are all around the things of God. You come to church, if you're in this room, you watch online because you wanna grow in your faith. You wanna be close to God. You wanna experience this power. But if you were honest, you're not feeling the power of God. You just feel like failure after failure after failure is taking place in your life. Pain after pain after pain. Nothing seems to change. You try to kick that addiction. You keep falling right back into it. You try to solve this problem. You can't solve it. You're, you're all white hot on your faith for a month and then you fall off the card again and it just gets over and over overwhelming and you feel like there's no hope. Well, here's what I believe God is trying to say to you. He's letting you go through hardship after hardship to break you to the point of recognizing you need him. You need a savior. You need to recognize that you are oppressed and in prison, but it's not Rome. It's not your boss. It's not your, it's not your parent. It's not your child. It's not a friend. You know who's oppressing you? Your sin is oppressing you. You are enslaved to your rebellion against Almighty God, and you've chosen a pathway apart from God, and it is hurting you. It's hurting you and everyone else around you, but the good news is there is a Savior who was born who can save you from your oppression if you would just trust in him, if you would come to him in your pain and say, oh God, forgive me for my sin. Jesus, take over my life. I want you. If you're ready to take that step of faith, today can be the day you find the joy of salvation. It is the deepest joy you will ever experience. There are going to be pastors who are down front who are ready to pray with you. And they would love to hear that. If you're watching online, you can let us know. You just text the word next step to 94253. And then you fill out a form and a pastor will reach out to you. Here's why you need to know that. Whether you're watching online or in the room, we have a baptism celebration taking place next Sunday at 4.30 on our Pioneer campus. 
We're actually having one on every single one of our campuses, and you can express your faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you live somewhere. You can fly into town. You can drive into town. You let us know if you're in the room and you're saying, I'm ready. I I need to be baptized. I'm ready to express my faith in Jesus Christ. And we want to pray with you and help you take that step of faith. But it begins right now by saying, I'm going to tell someone else about it. So I'd like for you all to stand if you don't mind. I'd love for the pastors to make their way forward. We're going to sing a song, O Come All Ye Faithful, because it says we come joyful and triumphant. Our joy comes from our triumph in Christ. We're going to declare that, and then we're going to remember the gospel as we take the Lord's Supper when this song is over. But as you need to respond, the front is open. Be prayed over. Confess your faith in Christ. Come bow down. Respond prayer to 94253 or next step to 94253. Take this moment and let the Lord minister to you.